There are seven biblical feasts. Each one points to Christ. In the spring, there's Passover. When Moses taught the children of Israel, they took blood from a lamb, put it on the door, and death and judgment passed over that house. Jesus was crucified on Passover. That same week is unleavened bread. In the Old Testament, they took leaven out of their house, a symbol of removing sin from their lives. Jesus was in the tomb during unleavened bread, paying for the sins of the world. Then came first fruits, another day later, two days later. First fruits is when Jesus rose from the grave. It was a feast to celebrate that the beginning crop would produce new crops. And so the first fruit was offered as an offering of praise. Jesus rose on first fruits, a symbol that those who believe in him likewise would produce that crop resurrection from the dead. And then 50 days later is Pentecost. In the Old Testament, Moses received the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus poured out the Spirit. No longer the law written on stone, but now written on hearts. You get to the fall, the feasts take place September, October. This year, they take place in September. The first feast is trumpets, which signifies the days of awe. We'll look at that here today. Then there's the Day of Atonement, when... One sacrifice made in the Holy of Holies would be given to pay for the sins of the nation. On the Day of Atonement, Jesus was baptized. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, John the Baptist said. And then last is the Day of Tabernacles, a celebration where they would live in tents to remember the desert time where they lived in tents and God's presence was there. All of Scripture points to tabernacles that Jesus came and dwelt, the word is tabernacled, amongst us. We're going to look at the Feast of Trumpets. You've heard me say many times we celebrate Christmas December 25th for a number of complicated reasons. There were no shepherds keeping watch over flocks at night in December. Jesus was born in September on the Feast of Trumpets. Trumpet was sounded to signify a new king. It also was sounded to signify the beginning of the fall feast, especially the days of awe. We'll look at here in just a moment. They may not have understood when they were blowing the trumpet or shofar, representing the ram's horn in Abraham's sacrifice. They may not have recognized when they had sounded that horn in Jerusalem, a few miles away in Bethlehem, the king of kings was born, but that is what was taking place. This is the prayer at the beginning of the Feast of Trumpets during the morning. Awake from your slumber, you who have fallen asleep in life. Reflect on your deeds. Remember your Creator. Be not those who miss reality in pursuit of shadows and waste your years seeking vain things. Forsake evil both in your way and in your thought. Beautiful prayer summarizes a great picture of faith awake from your slumber. Many need to stop and say, where am I asleep in my life? What am I not noticing that I need to pay attention to? What am I not changing because I'm not aware of it that needs to change? And pray, God, give me eyes to see, ears to hear. Reflect on your deeds. To stop and remember, we have responsibility for our actions. And those actions have consequence for good or for bad. Don't pursue 
shadows and vain things. Keep first things first. Prioritize what's eternal over all the things that consume so much of our lives. And then forsake your evil ways and thoughts. This time of reflection is about repentance, not repentance as in feel guilty. Repentance means turn and go the different direction in both thought and in deed and thinking to be renewed, different types of thoughts. You know, I love this quote here, Jack Moraine, you can't live out of last week's prayer. We're going to look at some pictures here in this feast to call us to live daily in our commitment in Christ. Starting with Psalm 139, a great place to spend your time in September. This is David's prayer, Psalm 139. Search me, God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Our prayer can simply be, God, show me where I'm not like Jesus. Search me, God, and know my heart. Spending time to really reflect and say, during this time of these feasts, the trumpet sounds to signal the feast, begin the arrival of the king, and the beginning then of the days of awe. Those days of awe are supposed to be a time of deeper reflection, a time to examine self, but not just to examine, but to take action. Because as you examine yourself in the days of awe, if there's somebody you have wronged, it's during these days we are meant to then make things right. Now, as followers of Christ, we understand that's a daily call. But these 10 days were designed, especially in Scripture, that if you know you need to fix something, this is the time to do it. Because at the end of these 10 days is the Day of Atonement. And the understanding is to come to that day with your account paid in full, no longer carrying unconfessed sin or having wrongs you haven't righted. Those 10 days of awe for us should be a time where we stop and say, search me, God, show me where I'm not like Jesus. Show me the things I need to take action on to change and help me to repent and go the opposite direction where I need to. Chris Goen said, whatever the need is, Jesus is all you need. If it's salvation, Jesus is your savior. If it's comfort, Jesus is your comforter. If it's advice, Jesus is your counselor. If it's healing, Jesus is your healer. If it's wisdom, Jesus is your teacher. The days of awe, 10 days between trumpet to atonement day, where people are meant to reflect more deeply and commit more deeply. People make commitments January 1st. They make commitments on certain anniversaries. This is the time to say, you know what, not just a talk about it, but let me be a person who does what I say that I will do. John Wimber said it like this, we will never do what Jesus did until we believe what Jesus believed. All of scripture gives us the mind of Christ. In the New Testament, Jesus expands specifically by saying the kingdom has come. And because the kingdom is now, he says, you don't have to live as a slave to sin or in fear of death or oppressed by the enemy. Now you can be more than an overcomer in him because he liveth in us and greater is he in you than he in the world. What did Jesus focus on? Pray, kingdom come, will be done. Where things are not on earth as they are in heaven, there's a target to place your prayers 
and to place your efforts. We have to believe what Jesus believed. We're told we have the mind of Christ. The New Testament gives us his thinking. When we come to things like the Feast of Trumpets, and we think about the king that has been sent to rescue the kingdom, it should bring us to a place also the days of awe where we reflect and say how awesome is God. In the New Testament, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, Titus, written by Paul, Titus was his apprentice. And Paul says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. In these 10 days of awe, in every day, we should first give thanks for the grace of God. But here's the thing about grace. Grace calls us to be better people. Grace is not a license to sin. Paul had those debates in the first century when people said, if I'm forgiven, maybe I should sin more since forgiveness is something that glorifies God. Grace does not make us worse people. It makes us better people. It calls us to a higher standard. It doesn't move us further from Christ. It brings us closer to him. It's appeared to offer salvation to all people. So in that then, these days of awe, our focus should ever and always be the king left his throne and the trumpet was sounded and he entered into your life and my life to break the power of sin so that we can live in him victorious, living life in the kingdom that is now. Martin Luther 1531 said, I have held many things in my hands. I have lost them all. What I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Paul would say, we know in whom we have believed. We are know he is able to keep that salvation until that day when we see him face to face. What are the eternal things in our life? Paul said, often give thanks in everything. This time in celebrating these feasts should always be a time of giving thanks. Thanks for that grace. Thanks for that new life. Thanks for that new thinking. You know, a lot of people have prayers of faith and they pray with such a confidence and God moves in miraculous ways to those prayers. Here's something Jack Moraine shares though. Some people don't have that same confidence yet in praying. It's available to each of us. But here's something he says. You know, there's all sorts of needs out there, many physical needs. And he said this, if you can't minister healing, you can always minister love. Maybe you don't have the confidence right now in prayer and you're still working to that confidence to pray healing for somebody. Regardless, we can all minister love. We can all tell somebody, you know what? The circumstance you face, this mountain you face, this valley you're in, I don't have all the answers. I can tell you this, on the Feast of Trumpets, there was a shofar that was sounded to let people know there's a king entered into our world to rescue people just like you and me. And he loves you greatly. You can't minister healing. You can always minister love. Titus 2 continues, grace teaches, some versions say trains, trains us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, 
upright, godly lives in this present age. There's a lot simply in those words we could each focus on day to day. Paul says, learn to say no to ungodly things, worldly passions, distractions, apathy. He said, learn to live self-controlled. James would say, if you can't control your tongue, you have no control over your life. Maybe in these days of all, we need to stop and say, Lord, have I learned to control my tongue and crucify the flesh unto thee or in those areas of my life where I have not? Let me surrender that to you now. He said, grace teaches us to live upright and godly lives. Do those qualities mark our life? Are those characteristics of who we are surrendered to Him? Or do we simply have a powerless religion that changes nothing? Grace makes us better people. Many of us have spent time down in Amish country. I've gone to training where there have been Amish people sharing in theological discussions, spent some time with people in that lifestyle and still work with some. What's interesting is they have one thing they all agree on wherever they live. You might go to some areas and some have different discussions about maybe they can use electricity. Some might use different clothing. Others might have discussions about using machinery on the farm versus having horses pull all the machinery. These are things that they might not have agreement on across the board. The one thing they agree on, though, is no cars. And the reason for that is not to simply be different than society. They said this, cars we found in people, the more they drive away from the community, the less they keep the same values of that community. The more they find themselves compromising or becoming less and less of the people they committed to be. Now, cars are a part of our culture, but the principle is powerful. There might be something in your life or in my life that's become a place of compromise. Maybe you're one of the people that watches an average of 50 hours of television a week, and you need to say, I'm trading that for time to spend with Christ. Maybe it's cell phones that distract so easily. Maybe it's simply apathy And you need to say, you know what, I'm laying that at the cross in these feast days to remember the king who's entered into my life. Perhaps reading Psalm 85 should become a daily part of our lives, especially in the culture we're in, where David says, will you not revive us again O Lord, that your people may rejoice in you. We desperately understand we need revival as a nation. Has that become a part of your regular prayers? Maybe from today on, it shall be, and that's where God is leading you. Here's something you can use, a simple tool for couples or parents, Anybody at all, make it a playful game, but it helps us to see a different perspective. And it's called Fortunately, Unfortunately. And what you do is you take both sides and give three answers on each side. You can be the person that does fortunately, 
and then your spouse does the unfortunately, or you use this with your teenagers and let them come up with the fortunately. The idea is to see things with a different perspective. So it works like this. Maybe somebody says, unfortunately, it's been raining out. Well, fortunately, though, the temperature's cooling off. Well, unfortunately, that means summer's over. Well, fortunately, that means we're going to be getting closer and closer to the holidays and celebrating Thanksgiving and Christmas. Well, unfortunately, not everybody likes the holidays. Well, but fortunately, we have each other. You see, it's simply seeing things from a different perspective. And so people might say, unfortunately, our culture is so divided. Yes, but fortunately, Jesus promises to give wisdom from above if we just ask him for it. But unfortunately, things have become so confused and people so angry. But fortunately, God promises to use us as vessels of love and grace if we simply step in to that obedience in him. Finally, Titus 2, verse 13. We wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul says, turn from ungodliness, live in grace, which makes you a better person, and always be aware, Jesus is coming back. Things aren't what they're meant to be. One day he'll come back and remove every tear. People are apathetic. Jesus said, don't be. You never know. Today might be the day. And when he shows up, he says, will I find faith in you and in you and in you? Perhaps he'll come back today. It might not be for many, many years. But in the first century, the apostles lived with the expectation, let's live our best because the king could return today. And what a day of rejoicing that will be. So the feast, they all point to Christ. And the Feast of Trumpets sounds to remind us and to tell us, pay attention, awake from your slumber. The King has come. He calls us to be just like Him. And at the end of that Feast of Trumpets, here is the prayer that they would share. And it's here that we close. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us by thy word and has instructed us to hear the call of the shofar. Trumpet sounds moment to moment. May we hear it. May we awake from our slumber and commit to being more and more like Jesus because he truly reigns.